If you're able, stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Last week, we looked at verses 5 through 11, mostly 5, 6, 7, and 8, which was about putting to death or putting off the old sinful ways we once walked in. And today, we look at what we are to put to life or what we are to put on in our new life in Christ. So there's a contrast of what we take off in old garments and what we put on. When we're looking at behaviors, we don't just look at, okay, you need to do this. You do this because of who you are in Christ. So the first uh, word that I'd like to look at in the opening of our text, put on then. So this word then is like therefore. So Paul is trying to add all that he has said and then come to this point to say what he is about to say. Put on then, put on therefore, or so, or so because of all of this, then we're going to put on. So let's look back a little bit at Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 4. I like to refer back to that. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, if we might even have that like on a slide. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now, I want you to just see that uh, with Christ. These verses are going to establish our union with Christ. So with Christ means like in union with him. So our union with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden. Here's that union with Christ again. With Christ. With Christ in God. And then it concludes with when Christ, who is your life, appears. So your union with Christ isn't just in his resurrection and in his death. It's like your whole life 
is in Christ. Christ who is your life. He is your whole life. When he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Think about that just for a moment, that your union with Christ is that one day he will appear uniquely at his return and you will appear with him in glory. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that you will actually see Jesus and walk with him? I mean, the Holy Spirit makes him very real. The Holy Spirit makes our union with him very real. But have you ever pondered, have you ever just looked at the word and thought, oh my gosh, somehow, you know, at, at some moment in time, I'm going to actually see Jesus. The person we've talked about, preached about, lived with, I'm, he's going to appear and I'm going to appear with him in glory. I mean, this is just something to just ponder and meditate on that, yes, it is now. Yes, now Jesus is real in our lives. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus real. He's a living person. He's seated at the right hand of God, these scriptures said. We're, we're thinking of him. We're setting our minds on him. We're setting our mind on these things above, on Jesus. But he's going to come and appear, and we're going to appear with him. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to walk with a resurrected, glorified Jewish Israelite man, Jesus, in all his glory. And you're going to walk with him. You're going to look at him. You're going to see him. You're going to be with Jesus. Have you ever thought about that meeting? I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to appear with him in glory. This is our union with Christ. This is how deep and intimate it is. And it just gets deeper and deeper and intimate. And therefore, we move into verse 5. Therefore, so this is the first therefore, because of all that, because of our union with Christ, our setting our minds on him, seeking the things above, we're doing that. We therefore put to death. And we looked at this last week. We put to death what is earthly uh, in you, sexual immorality, impurity. If you want to look, these are five things. One, sexual immorality. Two, impurity. Three, passion. Four, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. We focused a lot on the covetousness last week, which is idolatry, because the scripture focuses on it. It adds that and. It's the word chi there. It's not just saying it's the end, the last thing. It's saying an emphasis on covetousness. And then it adds something to the covetousness, which is idolatry. None of the other things have those things added to them. It's just an emphasis on that. All of these things are things that we put to death, but especially all of these things because they are false loves. That's what idolatry is. We looked at that last week. Therefore, I want you to see that as you move into this putting to death of things, and you want to look at the next scripture, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We looked at that. The wrath of God is coming upon those sins. You don't want to be living in and under those things. Uh, in these two, you once walked when you were living in them. So we once walked in that. That was our uh, old life before we knew Jesus. In Jesus, Christians that are in union with Christ, they no longer walk this way. Uh, they put to death those things. They are in a, a spiritual battle. They are awakened to spiritual warfare, and that sin is nothing to be trifled with. You are putting it to death. Strong words by the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're killing those things. We're mortifying the fleshly deeds of the body. And the next verse, but now you must put them all away. And he lists five more things. Here's another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
series of fives here that he's mentioning. Important because he's going to contrast put on with five things. We want to look at that. We want to see that. He's putting to death things. We're taking off. We're stripping off these old garments of the old man. We looked at that word too. The, the old self. The, the old man and what that meant. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in these coming verses. Let's go on to the next verse. So here he moves into, and I, I want us to look at something here uh, that we didn't develop this real well last week. Do not lie to one another. Here he's moving into something that is not just individual in the new man that you are to, to uh, put on, but he's moving into something that is corporal, corporal meaning of the body uh, when you look at corporal. So he's not just looking at individual, actually kind of, in contrast to the individual that God's working in, he's also working in, in us corporally, which means of the body. See, he's talking about one another. He's going to focus on this in these putting on uh, scriptures. He's going to talk about that we're not just doing things individually to change us. Bobby Barton is changing, and I'm taking these things off and putting these things on, but I'm actually changing in my relationship within the body of Christ and for the body of Christ. It is these things that we put on are put on in how we relate to one another. See that? Do not lie to one another. He's talking about the new man operates differently because you're operating in a new race of people, the family of God in the body of Christ. You're not no longer in the family, in this family of the, the new man, you might think that of individually, most Americans can see that, but this is a little harder to see in that the apostle is also saying that this new man is corporal. It is about a body. It is about the relationship that we have in Christ, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You do not lie to one another and have put on the new self. So here he begins, and I know our text today is put on the, the, the new self, the new man, the the new person that you are in Christ. But I want us to look at these scriptures too because uh, in a lot of the commentaries, they really bring out that this new self, which is new man, we looked at that some last week, that definition is not just individual but corporal, it's body. It's not lying to one another. You're putting on the new self, so you're putting on like a new humanity, a new relationship with people. You've entered in to the body of Christ, and it has this whole new, uh, new self, the new man that, that God has made uh, in Christ, which is being renewed. Here, here it is, which is being renewed. This new man is being renewed in knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Knowledge after the image of his creator. This image of its creator would point and bring out to us Genesis 1.27. It would kind of bring out, okay, where we were created like in Adam, and Adam was created in the image of his creator. You all remember that. Almost everybody remembers Genesis 1.27. You know that Adam was made in the image of God. And so this isn't talking about the old man made in Adam in, in that sense of the image of God. It's talking about the new humanity, the new self, the new man, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator in Christ. So we are no longer just a race of people in Adam. He's speaking to this new man, 
This new man, this new creation, not just individually, but in the body. This new creation that is being made after the image of Jesus. You're no longer just made after that image of Adam and his fallenness and his sinful nature and sinful practices. You're putting that off. You're putting on this new nature in Christ, but it's a new nature in a whole new family of relationship that is being made after the image of its creator, and that creator is God in Jesus. God in Jesus is creating a whole new people in Christ. Look at the next verse. Is that true? Yes, because here, like in this new race of people, that is what here means, here in this knowledge of this image that God is making of this new people, they're no longer... Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncertain, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. What he is saying here is here, in the body of Christ, in this new man, he wants you to see this. It's not just individual, but is corporal. It is in the body of Christ. The body of Christ isn't distinguished and isn't created by whether you're Jew or Gentile. That's not the distinguishing mark uh, of whether you are a Christian in the, in the body of Christ or not. Uh, it's not whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised. That's not a distinguishing mark. It's not whether you're barbarian or Scythian. Uh, this is a barbarian. This might be a little harder to understand. It's, it's barbarians were uncivilized. So it's not based on whether you're a part of a civilized culture or an uncivilized barbarian type culture and Scythian they were even worse than barbarians they were uncouth crass uh the people that were like and it's not even whether it's not even based on whether the the tribe that you belong to if it is crass and uncouth and 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 or just barbarian, uncivilized. It's not rooted and based in that. It's not based in whether you're slave or free. All these things have to do with uh, uh, social status. It's not based on that. It's not this new man that you're in in Christ. It's not based on social status. It's not based on your economic uh, status. It's not based on your uh, uh, ethnic status. It's not based on any of that, but Christ... Here's what he's saying. He's listed these things, but Christ is all. What that means is all that matters is whether you are in Christ. This creates the new race. This creates the new people of God. Are you in Christ? Christ is all. We are defined as a people in Christ. He is everything. That's what Colossians is all about. Remember Colossians 1, 15 through 20? About all that Christ is, who he is. That's all the supremacy of who Christ is. Over and over again, Paul through Colossians is pointing us to that Christ. In, in, in Colossians 2, he said, In Christ is hidden all the wisdoms, the wisdom and knowledge of God. It, it's like in Christ is everything. You need to get Jesus. You need to get Christ. Don't define yourself uh, in this new people of God in any of these ways anymore because everything is in Christ. He is all, but Christ is all and in all. He's in the believer. He's in the believer and he's in the believers of the people of God. 
He's in the individual. Christ is in you. But when, when Paul says in, in Christ, you know, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's not saying that individually either. He, he does say that later in, 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 in Corinthians 6 where he says, do you not know you're bought with a price and the Spirit of God is in you? You're not your own. That is individual. But that first part is, do you not know that y'all are the temple of God? He's saying the body of Christ is the indwelling house of God. Do you all not know that y'all are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells within you? So Christ is all and in all, not just each individual member in the church. He is in, in, in each one of you individually as a member of the church, but he is in us corporately. Now, that's a lot harder to see, especially in the in the Western American mindset. We like the individual bases. But a lot of the emphasis here with these things that he's mentioning are, is who do you belong to? Who are, who are your people? And he's saying your people are the church. They're people that Christ, in whom Christ is everything to them. Is Christ everything to you? Is he your all? Is he the, the treasure and wisdom of God? Uh, yes, that's, that's Christians. Christ is, is all, and he's in all. He's in all believers. This is talking very specifically in comparison with other scriptures of the church. He's talking about these in. So when we get to this scripture, therefore, or therefore put on, or put on then, we're just looking at that word then, going back and looking at all this. Why are we putting this on? It has to do with the announcement of the good news of the gospel about who we are in Christ and who we are in the body of Christ. We are in union with Christ and we are in union with one another. Now you're going to put on something. This, this is what you're, you're going to put on. So all of this is that, um, you know, all these scriptures is that we're not left you know, seeking things above, setting our minds on things above, this union with Christ, all this, as something ethereal, our head in the clouds. I said this last week. But it leads us to very concrete expressions of life here below. So very concrete expressions. We do set our minds on things above. We are seeking things above in our union with Christ. But we're not left there with our head in the clouds. We're operating here on earth below with very concrete expressions of our faith in Jesus. Through the body and through us individual as individual members of the body. We're expressing this. One of the ways we express it is we put to death things. We looked at that last week, and we looked at it again in review today. But we also concretely express it by what we put on. We put on, and then you would think he would start listing the things that you're to put on, but he doesn't. He lists three things. Colossians 3.12, put on then and he throws in these three combinations of, of, these, of these words about who we are. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So before you put something on again, he's going to remind us of who we are. Again, you, wouldn't, you would think that union with Christ, we're raised with him, we've died with him. 
this is who you are in Christ. This is how you relate in the body of Christ. Christ is all and in all would be enough, but it is not. Because when you start going to doing things, people always want to jump into behaviors rather than and behaviors to become something rather than that we are something and therefore we behave this way. So we're not putting on these things to try to achieve something. We're putting on these things because it is who we are in Christ. Because the gospel has to come first. The announcement of the gospel always has to come. It always has to be reminded of uh, to us that we only do because of who we are. We're not, we're not doing to try to become. And so he has to remind us again right before he says put on. He's like, put on then. And he's about to start these five things. But then he goes, as. And he has to redefine us and who we are in Christ differently than he has all the way up until this point as God's chosen, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved. Put on as God. Why is it important that we need to know that we are chosen ones? It's important to our identity of who we are, that God picked you. Don't you love to be picked? Like if you're, you know, and you're picked. Now, a lot of people want to get off and going, well, what about the other people that aren't picked? But Paul's not doing that here. He's not describing about trying to explain about why God chooses and doesn't choose. He's explaining that you are a believer. You are a Christian. You are in union with Christ. And you need to know Christ chose you. He picked you. That is the the authority of why you are a believer is because God initiated it. God's the initiator of salvation. He chose. He chose you. This, I mean, it's going to go on into holy and beloved, but it's hard not to get in that chosen isn't him putting his love on us. And it is different than his love, for instance, in John 3, uh, 15 about his love being for all the world for God so loved the world so God does love the world in all general uh, generality he loves all of his creation but that's not what Paul's talking about here when he says you are chosen Uh, he is saying a lot of what John said in first John so in first John 4 19 it says we love why because he first loved us. He, that initiating love of God, of choosing you, allows you to love. You don't love for any other reason in the way God wants you to love other than the fact that he loved you first. He is the initiator. He is the chooser. He is the chooser of you. He puts his love on you. This does make you feel like a treasured possession this is what paul wants you to do he wants you to operate out of what he's about to tell you to put on out of this understanding that you are a treasured possession of god and he has put his love on you he's chosen you there's a lot of 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 good scriptures in this area jesus said the same thing in john 15 uh verses 16 he says you did not choose me but i chose you And in that text of John 15, 
in, in verse 12, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he starts explaining how he has loved them and how he will love them. This is still happening because he says, Greater love has no one than this, and someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. He chooses you. He calls you his friends. He called them out to be his friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. The servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. For in that day I heard from afar, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. So he's talking about this choosing has to do with them being able to love one another as they have been loved by Jesus. The way to know that is to know Jesus chose you. It's important to know that, that you are chosen by him. They are picked out. The apostles were picked out by Jesus. Jesus came to them and said, hey, come follow me. And they dropped their nets and followed him. That's how they came. Jesus chose them. He picked them. He initiated that love. They need to know that initiating love of God for several reasons. But some is, if, it is, if my relationship with God is due to my love for him, it's going to waver all over the place. It's going to be up one day, down the other, like it is. Because, you know, if it's me and myself choosing God, my love for him is going to be all over the map. But see, God's love, the way it defines it, is steadfast. His chosenness of us that he initiated uh, to choose us means you're secure in me. When Jesus is saying this, it's in the context of love. I chose you. You did not chose me. It's this is my commandment that you love one another. And then in verse 17, after he says, I've chosen you, you didn't choose me. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Very important to know the special chosenness that you are in God, in Christ. It's centered and sandwiched in this love. It is secure. You know, God's love is steadfast. His chosenness of me doesn't waver or vary. It is steadfast in his love for me. Therefore, I can love others. He chose me. And his choosing of me is not weak. It is not wavering. It is clear and steadfast. He's put his love upon us. And we know this as the greatest love that anyone can experience. That we are chosen. Very interconnected and woven with the fact of how we are loved and treasured in him that's what paul wants us to experience in that he wants us to have that identity that we are chosen the next mark of our identity is that he wants us to know that we're holy holy and beloved holy so holy is sometimes a hard word to understand uh it's not really being perfect in in that sense it is holy means set apart set apart from now holy for God means we are God's holy ones or set apart for God. That means God has a purpose for you. He's chosen you, chosen you for a purpose. He's chosen you and he has set you apart, taking you out. This is how Colossians 1.13 would describe it. He's transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness, chosen you out of the kingdom of darkness, and transferred you into the kingdom of of his beloved son, Jesus, kingdom transfer. He's transferred you 
he set you apart from the kingdom of darkness and made you holy. He set you apart for the purpose of God and his will. We are living to walk in his commandments, which is to love God and to love one another. We're walking in those commandments. That is his will, and we're carrying it out holy. I like set apart by this example of a china cabinet. A lot of us don't have china cabinets, but they were real popular in the old school days. And they had uh, a dining room. It was the room you only went into on these special purposes. It itself was holy, uh, which means set apart. Set apart for special purposes. And then when you had a special reason, you opened up this china cabinet with these special dishes. They weren't common dishes. Common dishes were in here. These are the ones you used every day. But these were holy dishes. That means they were set apart for a special purpose. And this is what we are in God. We are chosen by God, and we are holy. Okay? So that's a definition of our identity, is we have a unique calling by God to fulfill His will in our life. Other people don't have that. They're not set apart to accomplish His perfect will. We are. We present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, to prove what his will is. That was just perfect, acceptable. And, and we're not conformed to this world. We're taken out of this world. We're not conformed to this world. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind and we that we may prove what the will of God is. That was just perfect and holy. These is, is where God is leading us. Holy means set apart. So you are holy. God has chosen you, and he has set you apart. And he has made you holy. And then he just uses this word beloved. It can be loved. And you are loved. But beloved, dearly loved. This affectionate love of God uh, defines who we are. This chosen, holy, and beloved defines who we are as a people of God. So we are loved as his children so this is unique this is unique the world isn't loved as his children for god so loved the world paul is saying in general he does but he doesn't love them with his life changing love because their life hasn't been changed he's he's he he loves the world but this beloved is loved uniquely by his life changing love that makes you his children Here's how Paul identified to the Romans. He said, to all those who in Rome who are loved, who are the beloved, who are loved by God and called to be saints. That's holy, holy ones. He uses those two words again. Loved by God and holy ones. So, beloved of God. This is the identity of who he says these Christian believers are at Rome. And in Romans 8, he says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Like, this is a type of love that spiritually adopts you into his family in by which you are his child and you cry through his spirit, Abba, Father. Now that's a transfer in relationship there from God loving the world to God loving you as his child here it's a and it's an adoption through his spirit the spirit himself that's 
the Holy Spirit himself, the Spirit of God himself, bears witness with our spirit, you want to put little s there, that we are children of God. So this bears witness. The spirit of adoption comes into us in, in our act of faith and uh, in, in believing in the gospel and his spirit comes into us and confirms that we are children of God. That is love, the beloved children of God. Here's how Paul said it in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. He said, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We imitate now, not our, our earthly father, could have been good or bad. They, they could have sown in some good things in our life, but we don't. We imitate our heavenly father. imitators of God as beloved children as his children now as beloved children so we're chosen we're holy and we're beloved what kind of beloved beloved children of God Whew. behold John says what manner of love the father has given unto us that we should be called children of God this is big uh, I've heard it before Bobby oh keep keep going okay but it's not. It's huge. We're loved as God's beloved children. We're imitators of God as his beloved children. Hard not to read verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's what he's getting on to when he starts getting on to put on what we're about to get to. Why do we walk in love? Because we're walking as beloved children. You've got to know you're loved. You've got to know you are chosen, holy and beloved, but not just loved as children, that's a great, good analogy as children of God, but we're loved very uniquely as the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, 29 said, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So this is about Christ loving the church as his own body first loved as Christ's body because we are members of his body so this is loved and cherished and nourished you know how you kind of love and cherish your body and nourish it and you clean it and you wash it and you put lotion and oils on it and you go I got to keep this body you know it's the only one I got here you know I got to take care of it I cherish it and nourish it nourish it that's what he's saying people take care and nourish and cherish their body. And he's saying Christ loves his body that way. And do you know who his body is? The church. The members of his body is the church. That's what he says, because we are members of his body. He's nourishing and cherishing us, not just as individual members, but as his whole body. We are part of a whole we are a member in the body, and he loves us that way, and we need to know he loves us that way. We're loved as the body of Christ, but we're loved, and what he goes into here in Ephesians 5 is we're loved as the bride of Christ. And he goes on to say, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he's talking about Christ loving the church very uniquely. And when he describes that in verse 31, he says and quotes Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
So he loves us this way. He loves us as the very, his very own bride. And that bride, he is one flesh with. This is our union, bringing back to our union with Christ. So when he's talking about being loved, being the beloved of God, he's talking about being the children of God, he's talking about being the body of Christ, he's talking about the covenantal love of a husband and wife. He's talking about that covenantal love of a husband and wife. This is him loving us as the church. Very, very important. So, this is who we are in Christ, and this is the review of the so then. We will put on, and he's going to list five things. We're just going to kind of touch on these, and we'll cut off and continue next week. But here's the things now out of that identity that we put on. Compassionate hearts. This is, in the literal words of Greek, say, bowels of mercy. It's like compassion that comes out of your intestines, like in your gut. Bowels of mercy. The bowels are seen throughout Scripture as the seat of our emotions, especially love, this compassion that it's talking about, compassion, bowels of mercy. We have mercy towards one another. We walk in mercy towards each other. A heartfelt compassion, a tender-hearted mercy that you do sense and know in your bowels. You have mercy for one another. Why? Uh, one of the things is because that's who God is. God is full of tender mercies. Luke one seventy eight said, because of the tender mercy of our God, because of the tender mercy of our God, God is this way toward us. He has tender mercy toward us. He has bowels of mercy toward us. You remember the servant in the parable Jesus told, and he come up and he owed 10,000 talents, and, you know, he comes before the king, and the king forgives him. And then, and then with that understanding of those bowels of mercy that the king showed upon him, forgiving him a debt he could never pay back in all of his lifetime, and all of his children's and wife's lifetime, all of them being thrown in jail, they could never pay back this debt, an unpayable debt back. What does he do right after that? He goes and chokes somebody for, you know, a couple of dollars, a few denarii. He doesn't have those bowels of mercy toward his fellow man. And this Jesus uh, condemns in the strongest of terms, saying let that person be thrown into the depths of darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and little worm dies not, you know. So Jesus is saying, I think, to us, is that he has forgiven us. God's full of tender mercies. Jesus is full of compassion toward us. We should be tender-hearted and compassionate towards one another. Put that on. That's what happens in our family. In our family, in our church family, this is how we act towards one another. We have bowels of mercy towards one another. The other thing we put on is kindness. It's God's goodness expressed through his gracious acts. 
Uh, it is um, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You'll see some of these. These are the fruit. This is what the Spirit produces in us. It comes from the English word, just kind, comes from K-I-N, which means kin, which means family, which means we treat one another like family in the best of ways. Because we're all born of the fruit of the Spirit in God's family, and this is how we act. We act kind. We act with a warm-hearted grace, accommodation, towards one another we are kind it has that nature of benevolent disposition toward you and toward one another this is how we act in the family of God this is what we put on in the new race of people that we are in Christ we put on humility again Christ is a supreme example of this Philippians 2 Uh, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ is that supreme example of humbling. So what do we do? We have that same mind that was in Christ. We do nothing, Philippians 2-3, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others. Here's a good definition of humility. Counting others as more significant than yourselves. Humility involves valuing others above yourself. Humility involves looking out for other people's interest and their needs. That's walking humbly. Humbly doesn't have to do with what he described the false teachers doing uh, in uh, asceticism, you know, beating their own body. Oh, I'm humble. Look, I be, look, I'm humble. I climb up hills on my bloody knees. No, humble and humility has to do with how you treat other people, how you look out their interest before others. It is valuing others. It has to do, it's other-orientated. Humility is. Meekness, uh, also the word is gentleness here. Uh, Both of these words explain what this Greek word is. Meekness, gentleness. It's the quality of not being overly impressed with one's own sense of self-importance. I like that. You're not overly impressed with your own sense of self-importance. Meekness looks out and sees the value of others. This again, Jesus is that ex- supreme example. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for you. That's how he described himself, this word gentle right here, in combination with humble. Gentle, meek. I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus described himself that way. He values you. Come to me and you'll find rest. He knows the image of God that he wants to place upon you and stamp upon you in himself. He wants to bring you into that new creation, that new man, not just individually, but corporately in his own body. He wants to bring you into that. And he values who God made you and who God created you to be. He's meek and lowly. Meekness would do stuff like Oh, go ahead, you know, in the line. I, I, I value your time. You're in a hurry. I'm not. Meekness lets people go in line. Meekness is strong. It's not weakness, Sam Storms talked about. It is strength in that you allow other people to go in front of you. 
uh, like maybe they want the table in the restaurant and you're in a big line and they they come in and they're like uh, you know we want this table no I'm not going to sit over there by the kitchen and blah 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 you know I want this table I want this place of, of honor meekness goes yeah I'll sit over there and see meet me at that table let them have this table we were going to sit there but that's all right give them that table we'll sit over here that's not weak that's strength that's meekness that's is the quality of not overvaluing your own self-importance like I deserve this table with those people over there. No, meekness says give them that. It, it does have that quality of yielding to it. And next, we have patience, long-suffering. I like the word long-suffering again because that's what patience means. It means willing to suffer long. To suffer long with means things are going to be difficult. Patience always uh, involves difficulty. It involves suffering. It involves forbearance, might say. This is a quality of God in Romans 2.4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? So not knowing that the kindness of God has meant you to lead you to repentance. But this kindness and forbearance and patience goes together. The patience of God is the long-suffering that he long-suffered with each one of us. And he long-suffers with his body of believers in the world today. He long suffers with us with patience, building us slowly into the image that he's created us to be. He patiently lives with that way. And so we too live with, in the body of Christ, patience towards one another. I'm not going to bolt. First time you offend me, I'm not going to bolt. First, I'm going to long sufferingly walk with you just like God in Christ walks with me. And we're going to close there and then start looking at these active things that we do, we bear with, and we forgive. And we're going to start looking at those qualities uh, and putting these things, these qualities of these virtues into action by bearing with and forgiving with next week and the other things that Paul finishes out in this text. Amen? Amen. So put on. Put on some compassion, some bowels of mercy. Operate this way. This is how the family of God lives and operates together. And this is how we will live and operate together as Grace Harvest Church. Amen? We're going to invite you to come and partake of communion, the Lord's Supper. We're going to ask you just to come and take one of these and return to your seat. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've put your trust in Jesus, come forward and receive this cup and return to your seat and we'll pray together and take it together.
So there's two cups here, and then the cup below is the bread. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and he gave thanks to the Father, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Let us partake of the bread together. this act, Lord, of partaking of this bread, we remember you, Father, and the great love that you gave us in sending your Son. As we take this bread, Jesus, we remember you giving it to your disciples, telling them this would be your body given for them, and we thank you, Jesus, that you willingly gave up your body for us, you willingly went to the cross and offered up your body, the only sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to God to forgive us of our sins. We thank you, Jesus, for your willing offering up of your body for us as sinners. In like manner, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it, and when you do, do this in remembrance of me, and remember my death until I come. Let us partake of the cup together. Thank you, Father. You loved us and gave up your own son. You emptied heaven's vaults to redeem a people for your name and we thank you and praise you father for the gift of your son jesus we praise you and thank you that you were obedient to the father all the way to the cross you obeyed the father in his will you struggled with it in the garden in your humanity you prayed three times let this cup pass from me but not my will, but your will be done. We thank you so much, Jesus, for surrendering, your humility to surrender to the Father's will, perfectly obey him, and go to the cross and shed your blood for our sins. We thank you, and we remember your death, Jesus. We remember that it's only in your blood that our sins are washed away. And we praise you, Jesus. Anoint our hearts right now, to sing and to praise and to worship you, Jesus, for you alone are worthy of our praise. All glory be to you, Jesus. Amen. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing 
You for sin. 
Chosen ones, holy and beloved of God, go and love one another and go and be a light to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.